You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, good morning. Good morning. Hope you're doing well today. Uh, we were talking that there are uh, several things that God has blessed us with, right? And today we're going to have child dedication, and that just reminds us of this amazing blessing of family. Uh, God has get, blessed us with family, and, and it's one of the most amazing things that God has given us. And, and as we look outside, as you leave here today, you'll see this, this beautiful countryside. And God's blessed us with the ability to live in, in East Tennessee, right? And it looks great out there. Uh, God's given us his word, which we're about to jump into, and I think to round off the top four, God's given us bacon, right? So if, I hope you guys got a slice of bacon on your way in today. Today is Bacon Sunday. Uh, we were joking with someone, we had the pancake, uh, pancake Fellowship several months ago, and so we're just slowly working through the entire breakfast line. Uh, eventually, if you're with us all through the book of Acts, we'll have a breakfast at Shoney's all together and, and by the end. And so we have bacon, and there is a reason for it. There's a theme, there's a connection uh, to, to the idea uh, to this message today because we're looking at the clean and unclean. And what used to be unclean, pork, is now clean, and I'm so thankful for that, right? Because now we have bacon. Now we are able to talk, eat it. Uh, I was just listening to, to a comedian talking about bacon. He had a whole, a whole bit on bacon and its amazing properties. And so uh, I wanted to share with you guys a little bit about the bacon story that I have. When we were in Taiwan, uh, we would go to restaurants, and they would give us a, a, the English menu, and we were there for a couple years, and give us an English menu, and for the first year, I never learned my lesson, because every time I'd see it on the menu, and it would say bacon, and I'd be like, oh, I'm excited. Rather, it was bacon on a sandwich, or they had a, a cheesy dambing, which is like a little omelet, um, and, and you could get bacon in it. And so I would order that, excited, expecting a nice, crisp piece of bacon. Eventually, they would come, and every time I was greatly disappointed, and, and you'd think I'd learn. I never did, but I would order this time and again, and I would get the same thing. It was pork belly, but it, they would not cure it. They wouldn't use salt. They wouldn't fry it. They would just boil it, and so you had this thin, floppy piece of gray meat that they would call bacon, and you can imagine the disappointment. Like, if we had passed that out this morning, and you knew it was bacon Sunday, and you got that, you'd be disappointed. But imagine that's happened to you every time you go out to eat for a year, right? And so this is just like constant disappointment. And so I took it in my own hands and uh, I downloaded a bacon app on my phone, uh, to which I still have. It's one of my top apps. Um, I can make pancetta. I can make all kinds of bacons, all right? And so I downloaded this bacon app on how to make bacon. And I went and bought the pork belly. They had plenty of that at, at the market. I went and bought pork belly, got some curing salt, some spices, and figured out how to cure my bacon. Um, I cured the side of pork belly. It took up half our fridge, but it was worth it. Cured it for two weeks, and then it came time to smoke it. Well, we didn't have a smoker, and you're in a, a nation that's not big on smoking meat, that's not big on barbecuing, and so how to do this was difficult. But So I looked it up on YouTube, which is the keeper of all great knowledge, as you guys know, and so I looked on YouTube how to make my own smoker out of a cardboard box. So I went to the dumpster uh, behind a restaurant and pulled out a cardboard box, which is how all great smoker stories start. And I pulled out this, this cardboard box, and I went and found a metal grate, and I stuck it in the box and kind of wedged it in. The box was a little too small, but the grate's at an angle, but it was all right. And so I went and got it. And then I went to uh, the DIY store and um, got a welding iron. 
and a terracotta pot. And so now I'm set. All I need is, is some wood. Well, we were in this like concrete jungle, right? We were in Taichung, Taiwan, and it's about the size of Chicago. No trees anywhere, no, no wood that I could get, and except for there's a wood-fired pizza place a few blocks away. So I took my intern with me so he could translate, and I went, and, and you got to understand, I'm the only white person in this entire uh, multi-block area, is our, is our family, and so we already stand out. And then we go to this pizza place, and I have him translate for me that I'm asking for a piece of their wood. And they said, well, are you, you, would you like to order pizza? I said, no, no, I, I don't want to order anything. I just want your wood. And I said, I'll, I'll pay for that. And they said, and they, he says, no, you can't have that. And so then I noticed, and you can see into the kitchen, and, and the place isn't known for cleanliness, the, the whole country, right? And so um, I look, and underneath the oven is all the bits of wood and bark and, and scraps that have fallen. And so I have my intern ask if I can go back there and just pick up their trash. And so he translates, and then this guy turns, and he yells back to, to the other employees. All of them come out, and they just watch me, all right? And they're like, hey, let's watch this white guy clean up our, our kitchen. And so, I, and so they give me permission, so I go, and, and I shoo off a mouse, and I'm cleaning up the, the wood, and I'm cleaning up the bits of pizza that's fallen, but there's a lot of bark, prime stuff in there. And so I pick it up and sort it, and I grab my little bag of bark like it's a victory, and I go back, and I'm so excited. Uh, I get home, and I said, Sarah! look, it's almost time. And it was like when we were having our kids, only she was that excited, and now I'm like that excited over the bacon. And like I said, it's top four, all right? Family and bacon are right there by each other, and so it's okay. And so um, I get, get excited, and I put the, terica- the bark in the pot, plug in the welding iron, close the door, have the, the pork belly in there, and hope for the best. Five minutes goes by, nothing's happened. And I'm greatly disappointed. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to have gray floppy meat. And 10 minutes goes by, and there's a trickle of smoke coming up. And I was so excited. And I went and got Sarah. I was like, look, look, it's happening. And so 20 minutes goes by, and the whole box is full of smoke. And, and so I kind of vented a little bit. 25 minutes goes by, our whole carport is full of smoke, and it's worth it, right? And so after about 25, 30 minutes, I finally unplug it, pull out the pork belly, and it is beautiful, right? It, it's smoky. And so I take it in. We slice off some slices the best we can, put it in a frying pan and fry it up, and I sit, and Sarah and I enjoy the greatest bacon you've ever had in the history of mankind, right? This was amazing, and it might have been the situation that made it great. Um, not, not my cooking ability, but, uh, or the cardboard, um, you know, rat-infested wood that I was cooking with, but, um, but it tasted amazing. It tasted so good. I was in heaven, and so we ate through that whole batch, and, and now that I knew how to do it, I went and got more pork belly, and we made another batch, and this time I gave it to some missionary friends in the nearby area, and at this point, word spread, and of, in my whole life, I've never felt more like a crack dealer than at the time when I am the keeper of all American bacon in this whole entire island. And so people are coming, they're riding buses that they've heard. They're like, hey, I heard you got the stuff. And I was like, I do. I'll meet you out back. And so like, I'm, I'm there, uh, I was giving them, and we weren't charging because I, I wasn't allowed to because of my visa. Otherwise, we would have been rolling in it. All right? And so, but I'm passing out this bacon to everyone we know. And everyone, we would just sit, and we would fry up sometimes some pieces or just give it to them uh, to go cook at home and sometimes we'd fry up pieces and just sit in our carport and eat this bacon and it was amazing 
This is God's gift to us, right? And so I'm giving this, and I'm telling the students about this, and I've given them a sample, and these are students. We, had, we taught Bible and English to college students, um, to Taiwanese students. Some of them knew the Bible. Um, some of them are Christians. Some of them had never seen a Bible before, never heard the name Jesus. And then there were some in between in those two spectrums. And, and one of the students that was in between, he had some knowledge uh, of the Scripture uh, from what he had heard before and from a Jewish friend that he had. And so he told me, but Mr. Matt, I don't think you're supposed to eat pork. And I said, ah, Webb, that was his name. I said, Webb, let me tell you, every pitmaster's greatest chapter in the entire Bible, Acts 10 and 11, all right? And so we open up the Bible and we begin to read about that everything is now clean. And so this is the scripture we're going to get to this morning. If you have your Bible, open it to Acts 11. The story is found in Acts 10. It's when Peter goes and he meets Cornelius, the Gentile. And the story is laid out in Acts 10, but Acts 11, the first half, is a summary of chapter 10. So we're going to go through 11 and pull things in from chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, open it to Acts 11, starting with verse 1. It says, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. So this is a recap. Peter has gone, done what we're, about to, what we're about to hear, and he has come back. And the circumcised believers, the righteous Jews in Jerusalem, are appalled. They say, there's a rumor going around, Peter. We've heard what you've done. Say it's not true. Say it ain't so. Tell us that we've been misled. Tell us that the information was wrong. There's no way you would have done this, Peter. You didn't go to, to a Gentile house, did you? You didn't fellowship with those dogs, did you? You wouldn't associate with them. You wouldn't go to Caesarea, would you? Peter, tell us it's not true. Because their view of Gentiles was not good. They had a prejudice against the Gentiles. They had this view that they were second-class people, that they were, that they were dogs because they weren't God's people. When God established his covenant with Abraham long ago, God came and said to Abraham, I'm going to make your people a great nation and I'm going to be the God over it. And this was his desire, this was a decision he made out of grace for Abraham and a desire that the Jewish people would then be able to spread the news of God to all the world. But somewhere along the line it morphed that the people, whether it be pride or selfishness, that the people began to see God as only their God. That the people began to take hold of this God and to say that this is just for us, that this was all for us. And so then, now they're looking down at other nations. They're looking down at the Gentiles, that they're second class. That even a Gentile that's converted to Judaism can only make it so far in the temple, to the court of Gentiles. This is prejudice that has crept in to the nation of Israel, to these believers. This group of men that are talking to people are Christ followers. Are people that have been saved, are people that might have heard Jesus' teachings, are people that believe and have dedicated their life to following Jesus Christ, and yet they still have this prejudice that has crept in like a weed. In my garden, we have six raised garden beds, and, and you know what it's like if you have a garden. Weeds come, and, and they come quick, right? And so a couple weeks ago, I weeded all the, gar all the beds because it's been so rainy, and we had a lot of weeds, and it was pretty easy because we haven't planted anything yet, so anything green is a weed. So I just pulled them all, threw them in the neighbor's yard, and moved on, right? And so we, we have these flower beds, but 
In the summer, when there's pepper plants and cucumber vines and, and herbs that are taking over, the weeds kind of go a little more unnoticed. They kind of lay below the vegetables and they overtake. And if I'm not watching, if I'm not paying close attention, the weeds will eventually take over my garden. And they, they choke out the vegetables and soon I just have a garden full of weeds. And this is how this has crept in in the nation of Israel. This idea that we're better, this idea that we could judge others, this idea that uh, others aren't equal, that we could look down on them. This is how it's crept into the nation of Israel as they look at the Gentiles. And a little how it's crept into us. If I was to say, are, are we struggling with prejudice? You'd say, no, no, I'm not. You know, that, that there's the overt ones that, that most people would say, oh, I, I don't, I'm not struggling with seeing different people. I don't treat different people different based on their, their race or their nationality. But then there's more subtle ones. I want you to, as we should do whenever we're reading scripture, is to look and see if it applies in our own life. Is there any prejudice that we're struggling with in our own life? Do you look down on people of a different political party, but you judge them a little bit, whether they're Republican or Democrat? Maybe you judge them a little bit uh, on their marital status, whether they're married or single, or divorced or widowed. Maybe you begin to judge based on their age, whether they're a millennial or Generation X or, or whatever the other labels are. Are we being a little judgmental about appearance, about the way they look, natural beauty or, or less attractive, whether they have tattoos or piercings? How many times do you make a judgment, a quick judgment, maybe a subtle one, but it's like those weeds that have crept in, that instead of seeing this all as God's people, as a child of God, as a fellow brother or sister, we simply see that tattoo, or we see that wealth, or we see that poverty, or we see something along those lines. And so this easily creeps into each one of us. And so as we study his word, we need to look and see how it applies to us, not just how it applies to Peter long ago, not how it applies to Gentiles, because obviously we don't have a problem with Gentiles, but, but maybe we have other problems that we need to work through, as did these Christians that were there grilling Peter. And Peter begins to tell the story. Verse 4 says, Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked in it and saw four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Peter's referring to the, the, this Jewish tradition. There are ceremonial things that you would do to remain clean, and one of those is what you ate. It, it's the list of animals that you can eat that are clean or unclean in the Jewish faith that's found in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. There's examples for like animals that are on the land that you may eat anything that has a cloven hoof or chews its cud, but you can't eat the other animals, so you couldn't eat... Uh, camels or pigs. It says that of, of the water, of those things that are in the water, you may eat anything that has fins or scales. So therefore you can't eat shellfish, lobsters, oysters, shrimp, clams, crabs, anything like that. 
Reptiles, rodents, amphibians, and most insects were considered unclean. So there's this long list of things that the Jews did, and it was what set them apart from the other nations. There were several things that set them apart and that made them dedicated to God. And now, this is getting all thrown upside down. Peter's saying, I've never eaten any of that stuff. I've been remained clean. I've tried my best, God, to follow, follow your commands. That I wouldn't eat. I would never think of eating a piece of bacon, Lord. That's unclean. We can't do that. But Jesus changed all that. And Peter's forgot. Peter was there when Jesus shared that everything's different now. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus shares, Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into the heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of, out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus has changed everything. At one point, you had to eat a certain way. You had to behave a certain way to remain clean. To try to be in the presence of God, you had to be ceremonial clean. And so that included not eating pig, not eating uh, certain things from the ocean, not eating certain uh, things that crawl on the ground. But with Jesus, he's what made us clean. His death on the cross... When he died on the cross and then rose again, he conquered sin. He conquered Satan. He conquered those things that are making you and I and the people in the story unclean and all the Jews for generation after generation unclean. He wiped all that away and made us each clean. And so this is what God is saying to Peter when he brings down the sheet. Everything here you can eat because everything is his. The story continues, verse 9. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. There's a message that God is very clearly trying to make sure Peter gets. And he doesn't quite get it, right? He has to do it three times and still never says that Peter got up and killed and ate. It's this message that God is sending that there is nothing unclean if I have made it. But it's a message that he's, Peter's not quite getting in this vision, but he's going to soon get as the Holy Spirit makes this more clear to him. Verse 11 continues, Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. Caesarea was a Gentile city. Caesarea was a place that the Jews wouldn't go. A faithful, clean Jew would never go there. Caesarea was remodeled by Herod the Great. He was made to try to be like those Greek great cities. And so it had amphitheaters. It had public places. It had a temple to Rome and a temple to Caesar. It was named after Caesar, Caesarea. And so it was a place that the, the Jews would never go, but the Gentiles thrived. And so the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, why don't you go? Go to the place that you would consider unclean. Verse 12 says, The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. So Peter's there. He's being grilled by the faithful, faithful Jewish Christians here in Jerusalem. And he's saying, I went along with, my, along with the boys. 
the, six, the seven of us went. And let me tell you what we found. We went to the home of Cornelius. Cornelius is, we've learned about him in chapter 10. This is the only time we hear about Cornelius, but Cornelius was a Gentile. It says that he was a centurion over the Italian regime. And so what Luke is trying to say is that it wasn't just over the soldiers of Rome that were from other nations, other soldiers that, soldiers that they've conquered other nations and they've brought them in to be soldiers. No, these were the Romans' Romans. These were the Roman soldiers that he was over. And so he's as, Luke is trying to make sure that we know he's as Gentile as you can get. But he was devout. He was a God follower. It says that he prayed earnestly. That he prayed to God. And so he had this vision. And God came to, came to Cornelius and sent him a vision that said, Go and send some people to go get Peter in Simon the Tanner's home. And bring him back to me. And I love his faith, as we're going to see, because he sends out his men. And he doesn't know if they're going to find him, right? He just knows God's told him to. And he knows that Peter's going to come back and teach. And so he gathers his family. He gathers his friends. He gathers his coworkers. He gathers all the people that he has influence on. And they're sitting, waiting in the house for Peter to come and tell them about God. He has that much faith in the vision that he had, that he's sitting there waiting and so they come. Verse 13 says, He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and said, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. And so then we see Peter's message to this crowd. The home is full of Gentiles, of the unclean, of the dogs that the Jews would normally not associate with. The house is full of them. And Peter has an opportunity to present the gospel. Jumping back into Acts 10, we find the verses starting with 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter's had a, this journey. It's taken about three days to get to, to where they're going. And Peter's had some time to contemplate this vision, to contemplate this cloth coming down and the animals placed in it. To start to contemplate, what does it mean that everything that God's made is now clean? And as he's coming into this Gentile city, into this Gentile home, and he's confronted with this group of Gentiles that want to hear more, he realizes that what God has made, God will not show favoritism. But he accepts everyone and every nation. And so the passage continues in chapter 10, verse 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, whom is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the providence of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. He's making sure to paint the picture of who this Jesus is. There's people in this room that this is brand new, that they've never heard about this Jesus. There's others in this room that have heard the rumors, that the rumors have made it to them, but they have questions they don't know, and they want to hear from an eyewitness, tell us about this Jesus. And so he lays the groundwork of who Jesus is, and then he says, we are our witnesses. He makes sure that it's personal, that they know Peter was there, Peter was part of this. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and, and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a cross. 
But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. For many in this room, this is the first time they've heard about this message. It continues on. He was not seen by all the people, but by the witnesses who God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter got it. Peter got it. He's standing in this house with all the Gentiles and he got it. Jesus was for everyone. The vision's now clear. There is no clean and unclean. We're not just talking about animals here. We're not talking about bacon. We're talking about people. Gentile or Jew, everyone is clean. Back to chapter 11, Peter says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. He's being grilled by these Christians, these Christians that were there at Pentecost. These Christians that were there when the Holy Spirit came down and they were all filled and they had the Holy Spirit and they knew that they had God in their heart, God in their lives, God directing them. And he's saying that the same Holy Spirit that came upon you, that came upon me, was there in this home, came upon the Gentiles. They're our brothers and sisters. They're clean too. It says, Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So if God, gave, if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? What a powerful question. Who is Peter to stand in God's way? If God thinks that they're clean, then I should too. And he presents this question to these people that are grilling him. Who am I to stand in the way? Who are you to stand in the way? He presents this question to you and I. Who are we to stand in the way of who God's made clean, of who God's loved? That we so easily cast judgment when these weeds of prejudice creeps in. It's easy for us to cast judgment. It's easy for us to be critical of those of a different political party or easy to be critical of the people that look different. It's easy to be critical of people that, that are wealthy and, and critical of the wealth or critical of the poor, critical of the educated or critical of the uneducated, that we place judgment. And he's saying, who are we to judge? Because God sees them all as clean, which means God sees them all as his children. God sees them all and loves them all. And so the story ends. These believers that were criticizing him, that were attacking him, they come and they say, when they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They begin to praise God because everyone has received this repentance. And so, as I said, we need to take his word and apply it to our hearts. We need to take his word and, and if we're truly desiring to follow God, his word should make an impact on who we are. Acts 10 and 11 should impact what we think. And as we talk about the prejudices that creep in, like I said, there's overt ones. 
that maybe you need to deal with. And there's subtle ones that we need to deal with as well. So I want to encourage you to see what God has made clean is what God loves, is mankind, is your brothers and sisters. We see it all the time. I hear people criticize the, the big mega church, oh, the things that they're doing, a church that we don't even know anything about, or criticizing that small country church. We're even doing it within our own body of believers, casting this judgment, seeing them as unclean. We need to stop that and step back and love as God loves. We're going into a time of communion, and we do this every week. We partake of the, the bread and the juice as a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross. But this week, I want you to not only meditate on that, but, but meditate on these words. Meditate on these chapters, verses. Because the person that we're often the most critical of, the ju most judgmental of, is often ourselves. Now, if that's maybe you, that, that you're critical of the sins that you've done and that Satan just keeps reminding you, you don't deserve this. You're not worthy. God wouldn't have died for you. Look at how messed up you are. I want you to know God brings you in that cloth and says you're clean. Now, when Satan brings this in our mind and we struggle with accepting his love, accepting God's forgiveness, accepting his salvation, know that God says, you're clean. As we struggle with the scars of what we've done in the past and the pain, know that God says, you're clean. Because on that cross, when he conquered death, in that empty grave, when he rose and beat sin, we became clean. And so God looks at you, and he looks at me, and he looks at the Gentiles and Cornelius, he looks at Peter and those Jews, and he sees people that are clean, people whose sins have been washed away, people who are part of his family, his brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he sees, and he sees you. So let this time of communion reflect that you are made you'll pray with me. Lord, thank you for cleansing us, for making us clean. God, thank you for sending your son who did that act. And God, help us as we try to apply this passage, try to apply your word to our life. God, if there is anyone that we have been treating differently, put it on our heart to go and seek forgiveness. God, if there's anyone that we need to be convicted of, if there's a group of people that we need to change our thoughts, God, help us do that. Help us remove this weed that creeps in. And God, let us see that what you have made, you have made.